Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, we've been talking about change, uh, not like Obama bringing change to the country, but personal change. And what does it take to change? We've touched on this topic in the past about how often we just follow along. So depending on what our social groups are doing, our families are doing, we look at that, that becomes a reality, and we keep on going. Or we get stuck in certain situations, stuck in relationships, stuck in jobs that just don't work out, and we keep going and going and going. There are other habits. Certain people are addicted to substances, and they might know that it's not in their best interest, that it's destructive, but it becomes very hard to change. And the conversation we're having today, it's less about change and more about what is the threshold? So what is the threshold of pain that we need to experience before we say, you know what, this just isn't working? And maybe I don't know what the solution is, because I've been going down this path for so long. I'm not sure what other direction to go. I don't even know where to start, but I know that when I wake up the next day, I've got to do something different. I can't do the same thing anymore because it is just not working for me. And the reason that I think this is really important, when I look around, a lot of people that I interact with, it's kind of like we go through the same habits and the same dramas and the stuff never changes. And it's not just a period of a few weeks or a few months or even a few years. I mean, in some cases, it could be many years. It could be decades. It could be huge components of our life that we're never getting back, that are just disappearing in this abyss of pain and suffering. And it's fine if you have to endure that, if you have no choice. I mean, sometimes we just have to go through things. But if the pain that we're experiencing is based on decisions that we're making and life strategies that we have, it implies that we should be able to get out of it. However we got into this situation suggests that there is a recipe for reversing the motion, getting out of it, and living in a better way. I mean, making better use of the time that we have. I think what is disheartening when you look at a lot of the, I don't even know what the right term is, but call it just humanity in general, so much of life seems to be a struggle against ourselves. And I mentioned this to you earlier, Z, and you had an interesting perspective Your perspective is that's not inherent. It doesn't have to be that way. It's almost a a disease of abundance. So it's almost like in our modern society, all of our basic needs are met. We don't want for shelter. We don't want for food. We have people, we have families around us. But because we have so much, maybe it's a lack of gratitude. Maybe it's a lack of awareness. We create our own problems. And It's tragic, uh, number one, because it means that a lot of our life just disappears in this black hole. But number two, we're we're responsible for it. We're responsible for it, yet we don't know how to get out of it. We don't know how to shift and move in a different direction. And we've all been through this. I mean, we were also talking about your story, Z, and how you're getting to a point in your life where you have to change because what you were doing isn't working anymore. A lot of my journey, and in fact, the reason that I started spending so much time with you is I got to a point 10 years ago where I was like, fuck, I just can't do this anymore. I mean, I I just can't live this way. I I remember thinking to myself that I've got to live better. That was the idea in my mind. I have to live better because the way that I'm living, I am operating below my potential. 
I'm not happy with myself. I don't feel good about myself. So I need a new direction. And at the time, I didn't know what to do about it. But I remember Googling back then in 2013, science of living. I mean, really just getting down into basics. Can I find what other people have done? Can I find some literature, uh, some approaches, some philosophies that help us manage our lives and help us reach a point where we feel content, we feel good. We get to the end of the day, we're satisfied with ourselves and our situation. And that led me down a path. And it was interesting because a lot of the literature I came across came from different disciplines. So some of it was psychology, some of it was around neuroplasticity, a lot of it was around religion, some Christianity, some Eastern philosophy. But a lot of the core principles were very similar. And that kind of gave me the confidence to move forward in this direction And once I started moving in this path, I don't know where the path is going to end up. I didn't know at the time where it was going to take me, but it was movement in a positive direction. And I kept on building on that. And I feel like I'm in a much better place. But if I think about how long it took me to get to that point, I mean, arguably, I was in the situation for 35 years. Now you could say, okay, as a child, maybe you don't have as much agency, as much knowledge. So take away, call it the first 18 years. It's still almost 20 years of being in the situation and maybe making some progress, but not dealing with the underlying causes. Uh, so I don't know, Z. I mean, it's, I'm just reflecting as we're talking. I don't know what it was about that moment that caused me to shift in, in a different direction, but I think it's something important to explore. I mean, either what does it take for us to start moving in a different direction or alternatively, even if we haven't hit rock bottom, if we know that things aren't working, why is it so hard for us to take the lessons of our day-to-day experience and say, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be in this situation. What do we need to do to light that fire uh, to really start shifting the way that we think about ourselves uh, and taking more agency over our lives and stepping out of these habits and these patterns that can be very self-destructive? So, I'm going to pause over here, Z, and just open it up to you. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Give us some thoughts on on maybe what your experience is or how we start making those shifts. Well, one of the things is that pressure, pressure causes alchemy. Uh, A lump of coal under the pressure and time of earth is so purified that it becomes a translucent diamond. All you think about all the trace minerals that are valuable are derived from the refinement of heat, pressure, and time. And all of us have a certain um, scale, right? Time is not a fixed metric. It's a mass, space, and distance. And so as you go through your life, you will go through things that represent your refinement. If you're mindful, that refinement process will not take a lifetime. It may take a time, but not a lifetime. If you're unenlightened, it will take many lifetimes for the diamond of you to come forward. It's one of the most humbling lessons in life is that change is difficult and change is good. And I'm not saying in the measure of good, bad but you would no longer be what you were. I think about that old Tennessee Williams movie called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. 
And there's one line in the movie, if you ever see the movie, it says, what is the victory of the cat on a hot tin roof? What, what, what do you get out of being a cat on a hot tin roof? And the woman just says, just being here, that heat, that pressure is evolving me. She was very aware of her pain, very aware of her enduring and her suffering, and very aware of the character in which she loved, even though it brought her pain. That is the beginning of alchemy or transformation. We go through things and a lot of times the pain is because we are sitting there under heat and pressure. And over time there will be movement. If there's life, there's movement. And we become something different. Now, the stasis of that is tied to the ego and our acculturation. And that's why I say many disorders and much pain that we endure have a lot to do with kind of our, our environment, our modern world, the way we believe ourselves to live. Um, if we live in these great metropolitan areas where we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, we have some mythical overlord or faceless committee that's telling us what is success and failure. And you're just enduring. You're caught in the rat race. You're in that never-ending, uh, as we've spoken before, that rat wheel to nowhere. And we're running and running because we're looking left to right, front and backwards, and saying, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And though it's causing us great pain and giving us very little back, we feel that we are, we are on a path. But the path is just this continuum of more and more of the same. And at some point, the mechanics begin to fail. The pain shows up and you start to say there must be another way. But because you are untrained, unenlightened, you can't even imagine another way. That's where it requires a complete breakdown. I've had the opportunity in the last month or so to talk to people that I have not talked to in 40 years or had a conversation. Uh, the other day, I had a conversation with, uh, with my first somewhat adult girlfriend. Um, she was my, when I first got out of the military, I, I met this beautiful woman, an artist, dancer, who was much more worldly than me, though I had traveled as a military person, as a soldier, as a, in my education, but I wasn't socially uh, adept. So she kind of broke me into a new world that I began to explore. And it was painful. Um, young love, uh, young, being a young adult, going through adult issues at a, at from the, the first ones. And, and when we were speaking, she said, you've really changed. The reflex of the ego is to be put aback. Well, what do you mean I changed? I'm still the same person. And based on the work we do, I caught myself. And instead of rejecting and explaining, I say, yeah, I have changed. I have been through enough in life. I've had enough opportunity to reflect, to introspect, and through different hardships, be they severe losses of loved ones, to the upsetting of my 
belief system to me shedding the ideas of being right instead of being right, the failure of my life formula, those were all great losses that brought either pain to my body, to my soul, to my ego, to my reality. In order to remain viable, I had to shed those things. I had to cast them off. And in casting off those things that you identify as yourself, all the trappings and the uniforming of you that say, here I am, all the clothing, the boots, the shoes of your self-described um, greatness have to be thrown away so your soul, you become naked of the soul. Your soul is just naked. That is when you can start to redress yourself with what you've learned. What do I really need to get through this life and not be encumbered by the things that I believe I am? Do you think you're going to lose your job and all your identity is trapped in that? But while you were fearing losing your job, did you give up your family for the job? For all your fears of losing social status, did you give up the thing that was most valuable to you or your beloved? So what forces you to change is when you're in that dark place under pressure and everything has failed you, you're forced to reflect. You're forced to go to the inner light, the light that's in you, not that when there's no external light. On your darkest day, on your most painful day, grief and sorrow, maybe it's not just physical pain, but it is pain of the dying ego. Then you say, I, in order for me to wake up tomorrow, in order for me to face the sun, I need to change. And we're going to change for a few reasons, because that pressure is not only pressure of life, but is the pressure of time. And it's very humbling when you go through that. It's very first humiliating to have a naked, the nakedness of your soul exposed, even to yourself. But then that humiliation turns into humbling. And that humbling then makes you more receptive to learn. You can only learn when you're humble. You're humbled through humiliation. Humiliation is derived from pain. Pain is crippling. And it's that crippled self that is then given another opportunity to let go of everything that you thought you were and accept that if you're going to be here, if you're going to flourish, if you're going to find peace, contentment, and even joy, you're going to have to change. We have a limited volume of energy that we're allowing in life. I was just speaking to Caitlin about that. And I applied it to her love of animals. And I wasn't taking away that. I was just saying that I've observed uh, her over the years going through many hardships. And she's in a wonderful place, her and pretty Tony have this beautiful relationship. And I reflect upon their relationship based on the seasons of my own life, right? Eight billion people, 10 different stories. And she said, I was thinking about getting a lot of animals. And I said, each of them cost energy, just like 
if you take on a lot of hobbies, a lot of jobs, a lot of interests, a lot of anything. The idea of a lot of anything is contrary to a little bit of everything. I would always share with people, and again, I don't own the truth, as a great Mr. Baker would say. But a lot of that that counts is better than a lot of stuff that doesn't count. A little bit of everything is worth a lot of nothing. And if we understood that without pain, without loss, without having to reflect upon time and years and mourning, we would be able to understand the pain that we've invited into our life and see it not as a, a, a disembodied, all-engulfing monolith, but as a teacher. And from the lessons of that teacher, we can graduate to the next class that is pain-free. Let go of things that are bringing you pain. And you'll find that in that moment of nakedness, when you are ungarmented by all those ego things, you're pain-free. Someone was telling me <clears throat> the pain it, it takes when they're trying to help their family be healthy. My family could be healthier and they could live longer, but they won't listen to me. They won't accept my information. They won't adhere to these protocols and they're suffering. And I don't want them to suffering. But you cannot rob a person of their opportunity for suffering because that's their lesson. Though you witness it and it's hurtful, that's your lesson. That's their lesson. And they need to go through that to come to their moment of enlightenment though you have reached it, or you can maybe even see where they need to go. You're the eyes of the blind man. You're the ears of the deaf. You are the legs of the cripple. But in being that, in having that role, there's also a heavy responsibility to know that sometimes that person needs to bump into things, find themselves in difficult position so that they can have gratitude for when they are not in pain, when they are not in discomfort. They can have gratitude for that, that that is right in front of them that they cannot see. When I hear these stories, Vin, of people really putting themselves in horrific predicaments, I often stand back and look as a dispassionate observer as a disconnected person, as a bird on a wire, and say, can't they see what's right in front of them? And that's kind of what I was sharing with Caitlin. You have somebody that loves you and you love them. How much energy can you take away from them and they away from you in order to make sure that you flourish and grow, especially early on? I share that with them because I know what it's like to have love deferred to lose your beloved, to make a mistake. And I also know redemption when you get an opportunity to do it again. And when that redemption moment comes, you walk in gratitude. You literally walk on eggshells, not wanting to mess it up, 
because you know how easy it is to mess it up and you know how much pain that brought you. That's when pain is that teacher. But yet when you're blinded by the ego, when your vision is obscured or the, the, your outlook on life is through the opaque lens of the ego, you just stay in pain and you just keep inviting it into your life. Let me do more of what made me hurt. Let me turn the heat up instead of down. Let me turn the volume up instead of quieting things. Then you need to suffer more. Suffering is your companion. And remember what the Buddha said, most human suffering is self-inflicted. And that infliction of suffering ideally will leave you with a benefit as opposed to a deficit. So we need to all ask ourselves, how much of this do I want to go through? What do I hope to gain from this suffering? If this suffering causes me to lose a limb, was it worth the limb? I was reading a story of uh, the great naval diver, Carl Bashir, who to save his fellow diver, he put himself in the way of an errant cable that severed his leg. And when asked later, would you have done anything different? And not the old reflexive thing, he said, yeah, I would have checked everything a little better but I would have never, I never regret saving those men. I have one leg and they have five families. That was the price of that. I thought that was a beautiful sacrifice. But if your sacrifice isn't as great as that, then it's not worth it. Are you willing to give up the time with your family? Are you willing to give up the time with the people you love? in exchange for pain, in exchange for suffering, opening the door to that intruder into your life that will take everything and offer you nothing, that kind of pain isn't worth it. If it is a pain that when you invite it in, it will bring you enlightenment, the enlightenment of a sadhu, the enlightenment of a holy being, then that pain is worth it. That's why we do religious fasting. That's why we do our japa, our daily drills. That's why we give offerings to the temples and, and the places of worship, the sacrifices we make. Suffering and sacrifice are two different things, though they may feel the same. Sacrifice is the idea of the sacred fire. Pain, suffering, is just suffering. So let us suffer as a sacrifice to something better as opposed to just inviting uh, the wayward grim reaper of, of suffering and death into our life. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I got a couple of thoughts on that, Z. One, I like the way you put it, that there should be some point to the pain. So if the pain is advancing us, if it's that bitter medicine that we talk about, uh, which is making us stronger, it's a certain amount of stress that improves our physical or our mental capacity. And then, great, we all need a certain amount of pain, a certain amount of stress, because it shapes us and refines us. But what we're talking about is more the dead-end pain. Uh, it's almost like a zombie or a leech. You know, it's just 
attached to you and it's sucking your life out of you and it's providing nothing in exchange. And not only is there nothing in exchange, there's no end point. There's no satiation. So at least a leech at some point, it's going to fill itself up and it'll fall off. But this pain that we bring on ourselves, it can go on forever and it can just drain the life out of us. And then we basically end up having half an existence. We're going through life as a shell of ourselves because we don't have that vitality, that energy, just that that joy, maybe that gratitude uh, to appreciate the moments that are right in front of us. So I agree with that. I mean, I think that's a good test of whatever situation we're in. I mean, is there some benefit to what we are enduring? In some cases, maybe there isn't a benefit, but it's circumstances beyond our control and it's a temporary situation and we can move out of it. We can acknowledge that and draw a boundary between that and the pain that exists just for the sake of pain. And that does nothing uh, to help us, advance us, teach us, and so forth. So that, I do believe, Z, as you're saying, is one good thing to keep in mind. The other thing that I think about, just the way you're talking about this topic, is how we're able to mentally override a lot of the signals that would normally force us in a different direction. So a natural reaction to pain is to get the hell away from pain. So if you've got a fire which is burning and your hand is in that fire, you're going to reflexively pull away your hand. You're not even going to think about it. Uh, I saw this sign once. I was walking by a church and they had a sign outside. It was like one of these daily quotes or inspirational sayings. And most of the stuff, uh, I don't find that compelling. This one in particular I thought was really interesting. It was very simple. It just said, uh, if you're doing things that bring you joy, do more of those. If the things you're doing are are creating pain, then move away from that. And that's it. We don't know what the perfect solution is, but we know what's working and what's not working. And we can do more of what's working and less of what's not working. And that's also something that is just very basic. Uh, it's how we're wired. Uh, we want to go to more functional states and get away from the things that are causing us to stress. So then if you ask, what's the reason that we're not doing it? It's things like the socialization, uh, like everyone else is doing the same thing. Everyone else is unhealthy. Everyone else is getting old and they're not exercising. So we're going to do the same thing. Everyone else is complaining about their lives and how little they have, even though they've got more than enough to support their needs. But they're complaining about how they don't have enough money to take the vacations they want. Uh, They don't have enough to buy a second home, whatever it is. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to fall into those routines. Uh, The mind might just be out of control. I mean, we see anxiety and anxiety is uh, this crisis. Uh, I mean, it's an enormous crisis that's afflicting a lot of people. But that spinning is constant and it's so habitual. Again, we don't even realize that it's there. And some of the habits that we have make that anxiety a lot worse. So the fact that we're never unplugged from the cell phone, that we're always looking for whatever that next stimulus is, that next update, the next text message, that keeps the cycle of anxiety going. Uh, Just being on edge all the time, always wanting to do something to entertain the mind. So you come home, you can't relax, and you're plugged in, or maybe you're watching something on TV, and then you can't sleep properly, so you wake up and you're exhausted, and then you need more stimulation to keep on going. That cycle continues. So it's almost like if we want to break out of this, how do we do that? How do we get past the conditioning 
or the false ideas that we have that are putting us in the direction of pain. And one thing that occurred to me, Z, while you were talking is stillness. We got to be still because I think about people that I'm very close to and I see what they're caught up in. And sometimes it's just a lot of anxiety. It's a lot of behavior that they know is destructive, but they don't know what to do about it. And watching them, it's almost like they're so programmed to do that, that they just go boom, 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 one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And there's never any stop. There's never any time to sit back and reprogram the self. I mean, maybe we could also call this podcast Reprogramming the Self. That could be another way to think about it. To get to a point of change, we're both the the computer as well, or I should say we're both the software program as well as the computer programmer. So we're caught up in this program that's governing our behavior, but we also have the ability to step away from that program and say, is this thing working? Should I rewrite it? Can I observe myself dispassionately, which is the entire premise of this podcast, and figure out whether my habits and my surroundings, my situations are making sense? Are they serving me? And if not, I'm going to step back and I'm going to do something different. And maybe I don't know exactly what that is, but I'll try out different things. I'll seek advice. I'll be in that state of humility. So I'll let my guard down. Because to your point, Z, that ego is another thing that keeps us going. The idea that we can't be wrong. I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. I don't want to admit that I'm a failure. So fuck it. I'm just going to double down. Uh, Even if I know what I'm doing isn't working, it's too painful to say that I've wasted all of this time. That can't be right. I can't have wasted the last five years or the last 10 years in a dead-end job or a dead-end relationship. So I'm just going to make this thing work. I'm going to power through it. And I hear that from people as well. But you're basically doubling down on a losing strategy. And that's the ego that you're talking about. So can we get to that point of stillness where we're setting aside the ego? We're setting aside the frenzy. I mean, I almost feel like we need just to be able to be still. It, It starts with stillness. And in that stillness, we gradually feel all of the urgency, all of the habits settle. So if we're not in a state of stillness, we're automatons. We're just going by the same algorithm that always governs our behavior. We have no chance to adapt or move in a different direction or consider an alternative. Uh, Whereas if we can sit still, that gives the programs almost a a chance. uh, We can switch off those programs for a period of time. Uh, We can observe the impact of our behavior. We can reclaim agency over ourselves. And I think in that stillness, that's when we start moving in a different direction. Uh, So I'm running with this a little bit. I mean, I'm thinking about my own situation. And yeah, a lot of it was ego. If I think about the pain that I was in before I got to a point where I wanted to change, it was, no, I got to get this right. I got to prove myself. I got to prove myself. It's not working, but still, I got to prove myself. And finally, when I dropped that and I didn't have that need anymore, and I was open to different ways of conducting myself, that's when I started uh, to do some research and uh, I started to do a lot more reflection. So I'm curious, what what are your thoughts on that? Because I think the condition people understand, and we talk about it, we talk about rock bottom in a lot of contexts, whether it's with drugs or it's uh, relationships, whatever it is, you hit rock bottom and you hit a point where things are so painful, it is more painful to continue in that direction than to take action and start moving. So that's a forcing mechanism. And maybe that forces us to reconsider the way that we've behaved and the assumptions that we have. But 
the downside of waiting for rock bottom to happen is that we can endure a lot of pain. We can override our natural instincts. We can go in these directions for a long time and suffer a tremendous amount before we hit that rock bottom. And we don't even know where that rock bottom point is. And if we're programmed enough and if enough of the people around us are doing the same thing, or if there are enough accommodations, I mean, sometimes we can persist with bad habits because we can finance those bad habits. We don't directly bear the consequences. Maybe our health declines, but they're medical interventions that allow us to keep on going. So this pain can endure for a very, very long period of time. And the question is, how do we circumvent that process so we're not just passively waiting around to feel so goddamn bad that we drag ourselves up and say, now I've seen the light, I'm going to go and do something else. What is the state of mind that we can be in or cultivate so we can get to that point without wasting time and wasting energy? And that's where I start thinking, you know, maybe a discipline of stillness uh, is the starting point for that process. So what are your thoughts on that, Z? My thoughts on it, Van, are <clears throat> simple. Developing an aversion to pain and conflict. When you develop that aversion, it's some, sort of like if you know you have an adverse reaction to certain foods. You have an adverse um, reaction to certain behaviors. I tend to be conflict averse because I understand the extremes of conflict. There are people that see conflict as a sport, a back and forth, a game of checkers. Um, I don't see it that way. I see harmony as the ultimate objective of my interactions with this world, to be in harmony. So in, do, in doing that and in, in striving for harmony, I am averse to conflict. I'm averse to undue pain because pain is inevitable as it is rain and day and night, there will be things that fate will um, visit upon us that will cause us pain. There will be a loss. There will be a reward, a loss of reward. There will be trust. There will be betrayal. These are inevitable in life. So why seek them out? So if you're averse to betrayal, if you're averse to suffering, to pain, to conflict, then nurture that part of you so that you will have a high level of sensitivity and awareness as it arises. So you'll find that gratitude is the universal salve in the being avoiding and detecting those episodes of pain. So find yourself being one who strives for harmony in your life. And you need gratitude. And whenever I speak to people who are going through pain, the pain of anxiety, the pain of betrayal, all of this, I always think about, can they step away from the moment? Can they observe themselves? Can they step away from themselves in order to see themselves? And what do you have to be grateful for? And the minute you begin to do that, it starts to have an analgesic effect on pain. I was running about the other night with a lot of things on my mind, deadlines, pressure, this bill, that bill. And my eight-year-old said, hey, Bob, I'm getting ready to go to bed. Can you hug me? 
And the first thing I said is, well, I don't have time. That's the first thing I said. I'll be, I'll be able to do that in a moment. That's real. I'm, I'm being real. Caitlin's giving me all kind of face. And I was running around doing stuff, and I had something in my hand and this, and I needed to do something. And I said, give me a moment. And then I thought about it. And I sat down, whatever I was doing, I said, come here, man. And we just sat on the couch for about three minutes, and he just cuddled up like a baby much smaller than he is. And he just wanted that moment. And I said, I don't have that many more moments with this kid, even if... I, I make it to 100. I won't have as many moments as I'd like to have. So I want to hold on to him right now. I'm enjoy my moment with him. And he will enjoy his memory of me. I want him to have strong memories. I don't want to give him just a fleeting second. Let me give him a lingering minute or two. And I, I trained that into myself then because I'm averse to pain. I am averse to conflict. I'm averse to disharmony. And I want us all our opt-outs to think that way. Let's have an aversion to a gratitude and have a desire for gratitude. Seek it out. Look around. So when you struggle with the things that you struggle with, are they issues of the modern Occidental world that is out of sync with all of nature? Are you in harmony with nature? If you choose to be one who is in harmony with nature, you will seek that moment of gratitude. Hang on to that ring of gratitude. Look around you and say, you know, I'm okay. I'm actually very fortunate today. What comes tomorrow, I don't know. I will strive for better tomorrow, a good tomorrow, but I know what I got today. I looked at whatever's going on and it's one of the struggles that I, I would have with my wife sometime in this busy world. And I would say, hey, Ma, just, can we just hang out? Why do I know that? Because I know what the pain of aloneness is, the pain of being misunderstood, the pain of longing for your beloved. I know what that's like. So I reach for that old teacher, the old notes from that teacher, and say, let me be pain-free. Let me avoid pain. Again, that's what I was sharing with Caitlin. I'm not against people doing stuff, but we have, we're, we're going into a difficult time for humanity. The food is no good. The water is no good. The politics are polarizing. Um, the, 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 the level of intelligence is declining. The feralness of people is rising. And you have somebody that loves you. And fate is a wayward mistress who will visit you at the least opportune time. So while you have that good energy around you, nurture it, savor it, uh, be, um, uh, you know, be miserly with it. And then when, when that knock on the door, when it's just pain, ask, who is it? What do you want? I'm not interested. Reject it because it'll find another way in. It is persistent as a house roach, trying to find a way to get in and out. So you do a great benefit by defending yourself, by putting up a barrier of gratitude all the time. Call your friends. Check in with the people you love. Reset yourself. Go back and do a rehoming 
of your reality. You have food in your cabinets, your belly is full, your kids are tucked in, your beloved awaits you. Then you say, it doesn't get better than this. May I protect this with everything in me and not invite pain into your life. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I like that idea about just saying, I don't want the pain. <laughs> I don't want it. I'm going to do what I can to step away from it. I'm going to create those barriers. The gratitude is important. That's a topic that we talk about a lot. And just to add a little bit to what you're saying, Z, I feel like the environments that we're in have so much to do with that. You've touched on this a bit, talking about the home environment and what do you really need? And are there things that are bringing us value or not? And let's focus on whatever is really important, what's serving us, what's making us feel alive, feel connected. Maybe that's another another place where we can go to, to take an inventory of our conditions. Because I feel like so much of this pain, you think about where it comes from, it comes from the anxiety, the constant movement. And that's something that we control. Uh, we don't need to be out all the time. We don't need to always be doing something. We can be still. We can be around the people who we care about. Uh, it comes from surrounding ourselves with people who might not have habits that we want to have. And we're naturally going to sync up with what other people are doing. So we have to be careful about who we invite into our circle and make sure that we're spending time with like-minded people. Uh, it's also just this crazy world that we're in. And it's very easy to get riled up. I mean, you can talk to people and it's easy to focus on what you don't have we're at this point in time where people are bragging about their lives on social media. We're trying to out-consume each other. We're trying to outdo each other with lavish lifestyles. And so if you're around that and you're talking about that, that's going to bring you down. I mean, that's going to be the opposite of gratitude. It's going to focus us on the things that we don't have, the things that are wrong with our life, instead of just this sense that everything is okay. Uh, so, as you're talking, see, it brings me back to this idea of the home as a sanctuary, uh, which we've talked about in the past, that if we have those right conditions, if we're surrounded by the right people, a lot of this falls into place. Uh, I mean, a lot of that mental churn, which is causing us pain, has some space to dissipate. Uh, you know, it's almost like it, uh, the dust can settle or all of this, uh, these crazy thoughts that are spinning through our mind have some escape valve and they can go into the outside world but we're protected in this sanctuary of peace uh, where it's a comfortable environment, it's a stable environment, it's people that we love, uh, and, and that also is going to relax us uh, and bring us into that space of contentment and gratitude. Uh, so th that's really it for me, Z. Uh, I mean, I feel like these ideas we've covered around awareness, around being able to observe yourself dispassionately, putting the ego aside, being grateful, having a sanctuary, maybe that's the place that we start. And if we can put all of that to work, it, what I really wanted to get out of this podcast or, or give our listeners is a sense that we don't have to wait till we hit rock bottom. I mean, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough energy. It's too much of a waste to continue on in these patterns until it becomes so unbearable that we can't take it. Uh, maybe if we implement some of these tools that we've been talking about, we can short circuit that process and start getting on, the, on a better track. 
Yeah, Vin, I, I like to kind of finish up my end as, as I'm listening to you. I want to, you know, all our folks to consider this, is it, it is not the pain that is the problem. It's what you do with the pain at the end of that. When you have a toothache, it guides you to a dentist. When you have a backache, it, 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 it guides you to methods of remedy. When you have heartache, it guides you to sorrow, to empty that out. And then that sorrow guides you to reflection. Forgiveness is a very important medicine. It means to give, it, give away the past. Whatever happened in the past, I'm done with that. I give it away. I give it away. That doesn't mean I forget, but I've given this away. I forgive. Start with forgiving yourself. The past is the past. Then when you forgive others, that doesn't mean you forget them, but you no longer give to the past experience with them that caused you hurt. But even then, honor the hurt because that's how you learn. I learned something from the pain. Then the pain is worthy. When you're an athlete training for, to, to, um, to accomplish a great feat of athleticism, the gateway to that great feat is pain. When we cheer a great runner, a great footballer, a great whatever, in the dark quiet of the morning or the late evening night, they endured great pain and sacrifice in order to see that end achievement. We all go through that. When you find yourself staring late at night in pain, gut-wrenching pain, heartache, whatever, let it be, a, again, a teacher. And when that lesson is done, honor it just like you would a beloved teacher. I learned something. I forgive the moment. I let that go to the past and let us move on. Then you benefit from it then you benefit from it. So let's go with that. All right, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that as well. I think I like everything you've said on this podcast, but you know, the past does nothing for us. Letting go, the more of this we divest, the less mental churn, the more clarity we have, and the less pain. So uh, sounds like a good formula. There you go. Thank everybody. Thank you for listening. And Remember the Century Project, keep up with all our Dharma media, keep up with uh, the Century Project, keep up with Lion with the mic, and everything that's coming with Dharma. Good fortune to all people. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.